So last night we talked about the will of God and how to discern His will. Uh, And we said that uh, it's very clear. It's not something that He is hidden from us. It's not something that that He keeps a secret. It's not something that we necessarily have to go and think we need to go on this long scavenger hunt for. We, we simply um, look to the Scriptures where it's clearly revealed. We conform our lives to the truth of His Word, and then we walk in obedience to Him, um, trusting that He's going to give us desires in our hearts that accord with His character. And then we get to watch how He directs our way. And the first thing that we said was the, the clearly revealed will of God is that we be saved, is that we um, surrender our lives to the um, Lord who has created us and designed us to live in worship to Him. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is discerning what that truly looks like. What is genuine conversion? Um, Asking the question, how do I know if I'm really saved, how do I know if someone is really saved? What do I look at? What do I look for in myself? Um, if I'm a parent, what do I look for in my kids? I'm trying to disciple them in the Lord. Well, there's a question for you. How do you know if someone's really saved? How do you know if you're really saved? What do I even mean by saved? It's a common struggle, right? I think most Christians, if they're honest, have struggled with this question uh, themselves, if not for, for other people, just looking at their own lives and saying, Lord, is this real? Do I, do I truly, um, am I truly saved? Um, and struggling with that it often comes in the context of uh, sin and battling sin. And you, we, can, we can give a lot of bad answers to that question, right? How do I know if I'm truly saved? Well, my parents are Christians, so I must be saved. I got baptized. I read my Bible a lot. I read my Bible regularly. I don't do the bad sins. I go to church. I'm not a bad person, actually, by all accounts, and um, in the context of where I live, a pretty good person. I'm nice. I obey the rules. Now, you hear that list, and almost all of those are true. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home, but if you're a Christian, almost all of those are true of you. The issue, though, is that they don't get to the heart of the matter. You can be a very religious person and do all of those things and hear this very sobering passage. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, 
Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Did we not get baptized? Did we not read our Bibles? Did we not stay away from the bad things and try to be as good a person as we possibly could be? Didn't we we do all these things in your name, Lord? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Because at its heart, salvation is not something that we do. Salvation is something that God does to us. So, I want to sort of set our set the context of our time with this passage. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're actually going to be in a couple different passages, but um, this just gives us an understanding of what actually happens in salvation. And that we'll look at after our uh, the two the two key foundational truths when we're discerning genuine conversion. Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse one. It says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once you in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So there's a foundational truth right there for everybody who would say, I want to discern whether I'm actually truly saved. It's getting that reality that at once we were at enmity to God. We were among those who were carrying out the desires of the body, the mind, were by nature children of wrath. That's the, the foundation. And then the, the beautiful transition here in verse 4. But God... That's the one who's making the action. That's the one who's taking the action. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That cannot be faked. You see, you know you're saved. And here's kind of the thesis of our message this morning. You know you're saved when your whole person, soul and body, has turned from sin to trust and obey Jesus from deep affection 
that necessarily changes the way that you live. You know that you're saved when your whole person, soul and body has turned from sin to trust and obey Jesus from deep affection that necessarily changes the way that you live. And that is a gift from God. Now, external conversion can be faked. Can be faked. You can go and you can um, get baptized. You can read your Bible. You can do all of those things and it not take seed in the depths of your heart. But this genuine conversion which God does to the sinner is something that 2 Corinthians 5.17 says makes a whole new creation. You become a new creation in Christ. The old is past and the new has come. And there are two keys. There are two keys to that reality. And they're just two sides of the very same coin. Two sides of the same coin. And the first is this. Saving faith hates sin. Saving faith hates sin. Turning your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 34. Saving faith, the first key is saving faith hates sin. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What we see in the Scriptures are three words that are used to speak about sin, or speak about repentance. Three, three words. They, um, they, they talk about an emotional or um, a uh, spiritual kind of emotional change, a, a change in, in your thinking, and a change of action. And all three of those give you a full-orbed understanding of what true repentance is. I was teaching this, uh, this very lesson to our youth group. And before, before youth, you can't do youth group without doing something gross. So um, I, take, I took a mint and I took it out of the package and I just uh, took my shoe off and rubbed it on the bottom of my shoe. Put it back in the package and then I hid it in a part of the room. And I said, okay, oh, you got it, bud. Yeah, I said, Is, does anybody, raise your hand if anybody likes mints. And of course, one of our seventh graders raised his hand. I'm like, okay, come on up, come on up. Stand right here. And I said, I've hidden a mint that way, right, right over there. 
And so he walks over and he goes to pick up the men and say, hold up, hold up. Now, you could keep going after that men if you like, but I just have to be honest with you. Um, I've rubbed it on the bottom of my foot, which is super sweaty and gross. I've been wearing my shoes all day and walking around, and it's disgusting. I took it out of the package, rubbed it all on my foot. Now, you can have that, or I have a $10 Chick-fil-A gift card for you. I said, which, which one would you prefer? And he turned his back to the mint, and he walked to me, and he grabbed the Chick-fil-A gift card, and he sat down. And I said, guys, that is repentance. That's repentance. You're, you're, going after, you're going after sin, and in your mind, it looks great. It has, the, it has all of the external trappings of something that is good, something that gives a blessing, something that will satisfy your soul. But then what happens is that God makes it reality that that is not good. And not only does He do that, but He turns your mind to see the glories of Christ. And true repentance is recognizing that, having a, a sorrow over that, that you were about to put that nasty mint in your mouth and you would have regretted it for the rest of your life, at least for that night with the taste and turn your back on it and then you walked after something that was good for your soul. This is what Jesus is talking to us about in an infinitely um, more important, um, more significant way. Your own desires, your, your own um, calling in life, uh, your, your own feelings are driving you to a certain end. And Christ comes down in the middle of your life and He says, Okay, let me just give you two options. You can keep on going after the desires of your own heart that you've established, that you've created, that you feel are good for you. And you can go headlong after those. Let me just... Let me just Open up, let me just pull back the curtain and let you know how that's going to go. Whoever would save his life will ultimately lose it for eternity. If you go that way, here's the exchange that you're making. You're going to forfeit your soul. Let's just say, for, for argument's sake, you gain the whole world. Let's just say you gain the whole world. How long do you have that whole world? Just like that. And what have you traded it for? Your eternal soul. And when this world is over, you get an eternity to live with the consequences of that. Now, let me just... Let me just Put it out there and see if you want to, you could exchange that. You could exchange your life and you could turn your back on it. You could deny it and you could look to me and you could take all that I have and am. You could take my desires on 
for yourself. You could take my goals and aspirations for you on for yourself. You could live your life as an opportunity and as a means to glorify me, to worship me. You could surrender all of your life and you could take my identity as your own. You could be united to me. Now, let me just help you see what that might look like. When I come in the glory of my Father and of my holy angels, you will be in that number with me. You will have the opportunity to gain not just a better understanding and a more significant understanding of this world, but of all of eternity after this world. You get to actually save your eternal soul when you deny yourself and take my identity. You will, in effect, save your life. And you will be living your life in a way that I have designed you to live it. And this is the essence of repentance. It's recognizing all that we are in um, ourselves apart from God, denying that and taking on the full identity of Christ who has lived in our place, died in our place, risen to demonstrate that God uh, uh, has accepted His sacrifice and now gives us eternal life when we turn to Him. Seeing that and taking that Walking away from all of that. And that type of repentance has three aspects. There's, there's a, a word that speaks of repentance that has to do with regret, sorrow, and grief. Regret, sorrow, and grief. Repentance includes negative emotional response to sin. Why? Why would we have a negative response to sin? Because we realize the true nature of our sin. That our sin has not just been committed in a vacuum where we just did wrong things and then it didn't really hurt anybody. Our sin was directly confrontational, disrespectful, demeaning of the character of God. And true repentance understands that and is broken over that reality. That happens initially when we first get saved, when we realize, okay, uh, the Lord has regenerated us and given us eyes to see, minds that understand, hearts that believe the truth, and we hate our sin. But it also is a pattern of life for the Christian as well. Whenever we see sin in our lives, it ought to break us because we realize the affront that it is to God. Now, if repentance stopped there, we'd be no different than the world who gets caught and is sorry for getting caught. But true repentance goes a step deeper. There's another word that means change of mind. You're changing your thinking about that. Where it was once tempting and you thought, this is going to bring great blessing. I ought to be a selfish person. I ought to make my whole life about me. And then you turn three and you realize that that doesn't really work out as well. It brings a lot of pain in your life. A lot of crying, a lot of discipline, a lot of timeouts, a lot of going to bed early, no dessert. <laughs> and then you begin to change your mind. You change your mind. No, 
I once thought that that would bring satisfaction, but now I realize that does not bring satisfaction. That once was going to be tempting to me, and now that's not tempting to me. Maybe I should. I'm alone. There's nobody going to see. Maybe I should watch that on my phone. No. I realize now where I once thought that would bring satisfaction. No, that's not going to bring satisfaction. That's going to bring destruction. My mind has changed in that area, and now I believe and I'm going after the truth. There's a full change of mind where once what you prize and pursued is hated and avoided. Now, if that's where it stopped, then all we would be, all we could potentially be, is hypocrites. Well, it's not going to, but I'm just going to do it anyway. It's not going to bring me satisfaction, but hey, I got the opportunity, so why not? No, true saving faith hates sin and genuine repentance has sorrow and regret and grief, has a change of mind, and also has a change of action. A change of action. Stubborn disobedience is abandoned as we surrender to the will of Christ. True repentance is just taking off sin, but it's putting on righteousness. And so, where once we would have lied, now we tell the truth. Where once we would have stolen, now we are generous. Where once we would have um, been impure, immoral, now we prize morality, we, we love our wife, our spouse, we give ourselves to them entirely. It's a complete change of action. And that threefold, um, those, those three components of repentance is what genuine biblical repentance looks like. There's a brokenness over our sin, there's a change of mind about our sin, and there's the equal opposite response in our actions to our sin. And so just by way of application, just in your own mind, have a look at your life and ask, what, what are the things that I'm avoiding or maybe not avoiding and why? What is my talk like? Gossip, dirty jokes, slander, or is it encouraging? Is it filled with truth? Is it seeking to build my brothers and sisters up? Is it taking opportunities to tell people about the hope they can have in Christ? How about your behavior? Especially the kids. Is your behavior respectful or disrespectful? Where once you would have waited and not done what mom and dad asked, maybe now repentance is leading you to, to say, oh, I need to do that right away. That's a way of respect. That's a way to honor. How about the, the pressure from our peers? The pressure to own that size house, that type of car, that kind of clothing. 
Are we seeking to find our satisfaction in material gain rather than our identity with Christ? Ask yourself this. If somebody were to look at my life from the outside, would they conclude that I hate sin? Saving faith hates sin. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Because the flip side of that, the other side of that coin, is that saving repentance loves Jesus as Savior and Lord. Saving repentance loves Jesus as Savior and Lord. Look at Philippians chapter 3. And these are the two keys, right? These are the two keys. Saving faith hates sin... And saving repentance loves Jesus as Savior and Lord. Paul is writing to the Philippians here in chapter 3. And he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying, look, there are people in your life who are seeking to uh, draw your attention to how great they are. Now, let me just talk to you frankly. Verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If they think that they have confidence for uh, in the confidence in the flesh, they have reason for confidence in the flesh, man, let me just let me just tell you why they don't hold a candle to me. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's saying, I know that people will tell you they're good people. If that's what they're counting on, let me just tell you how good of a person I was. I was essentially, and he gives the picture, of the perfect religious person. You want, to, you want to see someone who's good at religion? I was an all-star religious person. Okay, Pro Bowl. Right here. But, verse 7. But, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. And now, here's Paul's confidence. This is what we need to see as Paul's confidence. Being found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I'm not counting on my goodness to save me. 
but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Saving repentance embraces Jesus as Savior and Lord. Paul is saying, listen, I get it. I once looked to my own life as the object of what was going to make me right with God. I understand that. And I had an impeccable resume. But guess what? Salvation is by works. You understand that, right? You understand that salvation is by works. That's exactly what Paul says. He says, it's just not my works. My salvation depends on the works of Christ. And because His works were perfect, because His works were completely 100% pure righteousness, those are the works that I want to depend on. And I do that by faith. So everything, and we just look at uh, Mark chapter 8. Do you want to have your life? Do you want to make your whole resume? I did that. And it was perfect in, in the eyes of everybody else that in, in our culture. Everybody would have said, that's perfect. I did that. And guess what? He says, that's rubbish. That's garbage. That's dung. There's no worth in that. There's no value in that. Saving faith throws all that away and it looks to the perfect righteousness of Christ earned through his life. Why did he, why did he come and live? Why couldn't he just um, come, die on the cross for our sins, take the, take the punishment away, and then offer forgiveness? It's because by living that perfect life sold out to the will of God, He earns for us a perfect righteousness that when we put our faith in Him, He gives us. He transfers that over to our righteousness account and makes it perfect. And that's what God looks at. And that's where our confidence is. So that now it's not our prayer life, it's not our Bible reading, it's not our church attendance, it's not our um, family heritage that we're counting on. It's our faith in the fact that Christ lived in our place, died in our place, and rose again, that we will one day have the hope of rising again. That's where all of our confidence is. And that's saving faith. Now, he says, it was only when I saw things for how they truly were that I was able to see the wisdom of giving it all up for gaining Christ. Just like repentance, there are three aspects of genuine faith. Three aspects of genuine faith. Number one, they're grounded in the truth. They're grounded in the truth. The only reason that we have, um, that it's wise to have faith in that theological reality is because it's revealed in the truth of the scriptures. God has revealed that to us. That was his plan from day one. 
He said when the man fell in the garden, I'm going to one day send one who will crush the head of the serpent. And that one was Jesus, and he did that. Our faith, true, genuine, saving faith, is grounded in the truth. Divinely revealed truth about us and about Christ. Essentially, it's Christ coming to us and saying, Listen, I understand you've blown it. I understand that you have, have sinned and now you're, you're hopeless. But look at me. That's why I lived. That's why I died. I'm giving you my righteousness. I died in your place. Guilt is great so long as it throws you to the cross. But now you don't have to carry that guilt on you anymore because I've removed that through my death. Now come to me. Come to me. You don't have to build your life up. You can take, take me on. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. You get to just live life trusting me. And this is what he has revealed in the Gospels. He's revealed. He's explained in the epistles. He's anticipated in Revelation. And we understand that. And our faith is grounded in the truth. It's not grounded in our emotion and in our feelings. That's going to come with truth. We're going to love the truth, but that's not where the grounding is. Our faith is grounded in the objective truth of God's word. Now, if we stopped there, if we just understood the truth, then we'd be cold, lifeless, um, big-headed theologians who have no affection for Christ. And that's why the second aspect of genuine faith is that we affirm and believe that truth. Just to know the truth makes you as good as a liberal theologian who knows it and then denies it. But true, genuine faith knows the truth and then affirms it as right and good and believes it. We've come to know that He is the Christ, the Son of God. And what Ephesians 2 told us is that that knowledge is not something that we come to on our own, but it's something that God gives us as a gift, as a grace gift. That's where we have the affections of Christ put in our hearts. Oh, this, is, this truth is so good, Lord. Thank you for revealing this to me. I believe it. I love it. I praise you for revealing it. I praise you for working this all out in this way. Thank you, Lord. That's that heart of affirmation, of belief. And so it goes from our head where we understand the truth. It moves its way down to our heart where we affirm it and believe it. And if it stopped there, then... We're simply those who speak with our mouths, something that we don't actually believe because it doesn't make its way out into our actions. And so the third aspect of genuine saving faith is that we begin to rely on it for life and live dependently on it. It makes its way out into the way that we live. We've come to know the wretchedness, the hopelessness of our condition. We've thrown ourselves on the mercy of Christ and now it dictates for us how we view life, how we live life, how we make decisions, how we treat people, how we deal with our sin. You understand that? So many Christians, and this doesn't make any sense, so many Christians hate 
to have their sin revealed to them. Do you understand why that makes no sense at all in the Christian life? Christians ought to have their, they ought to love to have their sin revealed to them because they know what Christ has done to their sin and given them power to do in response to their sin. What our sin does is it creates a level of, of separation in our relationship with God, how we um, uh, uh, experience God in life. There's not this intimacy and um, uh, closeness because of our sin. And so wherever we find our sin, we ought to thank God for revealing it to us so that we can put it to death and walk away from it and experience that intimate, loving relationship with Christ. Because that's what our souls desperately long for and need. And so we live life based on, okay, Lord, this is true and I love it. And so I'm going to give my life to it. It makes a change in the way that we live. So, here's a question for you. Are you relying on Jesus or on yourself for your righteousness. Where is your confidence? Is your attention regularly on your, your goodness? Or is your attention fully set confidently on what Christ has done and then praising God for the ways that He is changing you and making you more like Him? In other words... Are your actions the basis of your confidence or are they the result of your confidence? Are your actions coming as a result of, Lord, I am fully trusting in your righteousness and your righteousness alone. And out of love for him and what he did, now you want to seek him in the word. You want to depend on him in prayer. You want to spend time with his people. That's the overflow of your heart. And so as we look at our lives, this is what we ought to be looking at when we're trying to determine, are we, are we saved? This is the foundational reality. Am I repenting from sin? Have I repented from sin? And am I continuing to repent from sin? Have I trusted in Christ? And am I continuing to trust in Christ? And repentance from sin is not, Lord, I'm sorry. Repentance from sin is, oh, no. Lord, please forgive me of that. I don't want that anymore. Changing my mind about that. And give me the grace to walk in righteousness. That's true repentance. And true faith is not, yeah, Christ is the man. He's my homeboy. I like just hanging out with Christ. It's digging into the Word Finding out more about your Savior, what He has done, who He is, what that means for you in your life and your relationship with other Christians in the church. Believing that, loving that, soaking that in, and then living life in light of it. That's saving faith. And if those two are true about you, and if those are increasing and they're maturing, and not perfectly, you're not, you haven't arrived, we're not arrived, that's what Paul is going to say uh, in Philippians 
Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me His own. And if that's true about you, then you can have confidence that your conversion is genuine. And you can walk your kids through, you can walk your friends through what genuine conversion looks like. You can watch this take place. You can lead them in this. Michael Lawrence has an excellent book called Conversion, um, in which he says, truly converted people are new, not nice. We're not just, uh, they're not just a good kid. They're completely new. Desires and all. Truly converted people are saved, not sincere. Not looking to our sincerity, but God's perfect work in Christ. Truly converted people are disciples. We're not looking for decisions. We're trying to determine, are we currently following Jesus? Not, had we decided to follow Jesus way back in our past. And true, truly converted people are holy, not healed. Our sin is not a disease. It's not something that can be cured with um, medicine or, or pushing, it, pushing it down. But we have to put our sin to death and live out of God's character. And so have you truly been converted? Have you recognized the sinfulness of your sin and walked away from it? Have you recognized the glories of Christ and run wholeheartedly to Him. If that's you, then the Scripture says you have the gift of eternal life and you have the hope of living forever with Him. Peter says, you're going to suffer in this life for a little while. And in First Peter, it's so funny, a little while means all of this life. <laughs> Except he says this life is like this. It's like a vapor. It's gone. And you have all of eternity to live serving Worshiping, getting to know better your Lord and Savior who has purchased you from all that your sin deserved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for revealing this to us. Please give us hearts that eagerly welcome the revelation of our sin. Would we regularly ask you to reveal by your Holy Spirit the sin in our lives that we might put it to death and live in intimate union with Jesus Christ. Thank you for revealing to us from the very beginning of the Scriptures your plan of redemption and unfolding it throughout the Scriptures how you were going to bring this to pass. And now having brought it to pass, and given us Your Word and preserved it for us to read, even in our own language, would You give us hearts that long to pursue You and understand You in Your Word. And as You fill our minds with truth, would You give us hearts that affirm it and believe it and grow in our affection for Jesus Christ. And as we believe it, would You help us to live it out faithfully. Would You help us to be bold with our faith? Would You help us to be um, people of integrity? Both believing and saying one thing and having lives that match that. 
And would you encourage us, Lord, with this um, truth of genuine conversion that because of what you have done in our lives, we have the hope of eternal life. And if there's anybody here who doesn't know you yet, would you cause them to cry out to you to do this to them? You said to, to Nicodemus, the, um, the wind blows where it wishes and we don't know the, the sound or how it all works. And so is the Spirit of God who regenerates the human soul. And so would you cause your people to cry out um, today that you would make them a new creation in Christ. We love you, Lord, and we look forward to seeing how you will use all of this truth for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.